0: Hey, everyone. This is Captain Chris from Mouth of the Merrimack here with... Dandy O'Daddy. And today, guys, we have a great guest, a real special one. I'm really glad he was able to make it. Um, we have Mr. Matt Ayer, um, who works for the Division of Marine Fisheries in Massachusetts. Matt, good to have you tonight. Thanks for coming.
1: Thanks for having me, Chris.
0: Yeah, so I'm really excited about this one because there's a lot of things to talk about. I know um, talking to people uh, when it comes to fisheries management, a lot of them just kind of don't know where the information comes from, how, to go, how they could... Uh, act upon it. Who to reach out to, and just tell us a little bit about what you do for the Mass DMF, what the Mass DMF does in general, and just kind of give us the background.
1: <laughs> all right, that's a that's a large question, but I'll start. <laughs> you can tell me to elaborate if you want. So, uh, yeah, my name is Matt. I'm the uh, recreational area biologist for the Mass Division of Marine Fisheries. I cover all things recreational from the New Hampshire border down through Metro Boston, uh, and and that includes you know anything from disseminating information to tackle shops, uh, recreational anglers, um, but also I help coordinate the federal recreational fisheries survey, which is uh, MRIP. Uh, and, and there's multiple pieces to MRIP that I work on, um, but mainly we work on the access point angler intercept survey, uh, and that is where a lot of the data comes from uh, that goes directly into uh, stock assessments and other aspects of fisheries management. Uh mainly that APIS survey gathers catch information, catch and participation, uh get at some demographic. And in this case this year, we're actually grabbing some um socioeconomic information to value, put value on the recreational fishery. And not just in Massachusetts, it's a, it's a coastwide survey. Um, so all Atlantic states are doing that same survey.
0: Okay. I want to back you up just a little bit because I do want to get into that socioeconomic survey. <laughs> so uh, the NRIP, all right, let's talk about that first. For people who don't know exactly, what is that? What's going on there?
1: <clears throat> so MRIP is the a Marine Recreational Information Program. It is a uh, federal uh, survey, and it's composed of multiple pieces that gather recreational information uh, to eventually calculate the overall recreational take. Um, and that includes harvest in terms of fish that are kept, but it also includes fish that are released. And uh, what often happens is that uh, depending on the species, that those species have a mortality rate that uh, is applied to the fish that are released. And so you get to an overall harvest. Um, Another portion of MRIP is um, a mail survey, which is where the effort data comes from. And that's not something we do as an agency. That's something that NOAA does. Mm -hmm. So a combination of these multiple pieces of the MRIP survey generate the overall recreational catch um, for the entire Atlantic coast.
0: So, if I'm a recreational angler, um, how do I get my information through MRIP? So, your
1: information to go into MRIP? or yeah, how,
0: like, how's it collected?
1: Yeah. So, um, so mainly, if you want to, if you want to help uh, with catch data, which is what we're trying to collect, uh, shoreside from private boats, rental boats, charter boats, uh, as well as any shore anglers. Um, We have samplers that are sampling, uh, and we begin sampling in Massachusetts in April, and we'll sample all the way through in certain places through December. On the North Shore, Metro Boston, we sample into early November, into the the entire month of November, but not a lot. Um, And so at times you'll see our samplers out in the field. Um, They'll be typically wearing... Well, they should be wearing mass marine fisheries uh, gear they're carrying a black tablet um, that they're collecting information on and so if those people uh, if those samplers approach you as an angler as you're finishing up your day of fishing they are trying to gather that catch information um, if, if you didn't catch anything that's okay your intercept is just as important as someone who caught a lot of fish or someone who you know released a lot of fish All that information is extremely important. So um, we encourage everyone to participate. It doesn't happen all the time, and uh, the surveys are are pretty quick, um, but the data is extremely important and used a lot.
0: Yeah, and it only works well if everybody tells the truth. So Dan, you can't lie about all those big fish you've been catching.
2: <laughs> yeah. uh, all the big fish that I don't catch, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And Dan, I interviewed
1: you last summer. Like, got you at the marina, right? That yes, was, you did. Yeah. Yep. So mm-hmm. I happen to be out. I'm I'm the coordinator, but that day I happened to be out in the field, and and uh, and Dan participated as as he should, and it was great. We uh, you know didn't get a lot of information from him, but you know I got something.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It was awesome to meet you, and it was awesome to see what you guys do. Um, How many how many people do you have out there collecting data right now? So, uh, on the North Shore,
1: my region, we're typically in the past. I've had four samplers, um, and they're covering that region from the New Hampshire border down through Metro Boston. Um, This year, we're going to have five, just to you know. We've had issues sometimes with not having quite enough staff, and then. Excuse me. South, uh, we have five samplers that cover from Hull uh, down the South Shore and in onto the South Coast, including Buzzards Bay. And then there's another five samplers that work out on uh, the Cape and Islands. So, so
2: you're you're collecting data from a, a large group of people, uh, you know, fishermen. I mean, how many anglers do we have in Massachusetts? Hold licenses? Do you have that's a great question.
1: <laughs> yeah. So uh, so in in the best year we've ever had of issuing uh, recreational saltwater permits, which was, um, the prime year of COVID, uh, we did over 214,000 recreational permits. Um, we estimate we're probably still missing some people, but that's, that's a pretty good number. Um, we were, we're actually down on non-residents that year because of some of the travel restrictions, but we were way up in resident permits that were sold. That number went down a little bit this past season, um, in 2021. Um, and the and so the, the sorry the resident number went down a little bit but the non-resident number went back up um, so you know it's right around 200,000 in terms of what we we sell okay, on and average. then as
2: far as like the ratio for how many uh, you know how much data you collect how many people would you say in a season you guys interview so it's a it's a subsample we're
1: only probably doing uh, I can't remember what the total number of interviews was it's around 4,000 interviews um, okay. it's uh. I'm sure that may be wrong. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Uh, <laughs> it may not be quite that many, but um, we don't, we don't sample at every site in Massachusetts. So we have, uh, what we try to do is have representative sites. You know, if you look at a place like the Merrimack, there are a lot of sites. There's a lot of marinas, a lot of ramps. Isn't um,
0: Cashman's known as like the busiest ramp in Massachusetts? Yeah.
1: So Cashman's, we, we actually looked at some data today. The number one uh, assignment last year came out of Cashman's and that sampler did 59 interviews in a six hour time block, which is, wow. you know, that's a, that is straight out. You are from the second you open, you know, you start and it's, you're there for, they're there for six hours at a single site. Um, they are, they are straight out, um, sampling. So, uh, you know, we're trying to get as many people as we can. Um, if they are in the middle of an interview and people haul their boat and leave, those people are counted. So we're actually accounting for, everyone um mm-hmm. that we assume is fishing and sometimes you have to make an educated guess by looking at the boat and the number of people as to w- how many people were actually leaving that you missed but you know we try to get everybody
2: okay so when you when you have all this data i'm, sur- I'm sure you can use it in all different kinds of ways what, what do you feel is the most in- important statistic that you're pulling out of it like what do you what are you regulating or changing or or basing you know your decisions on as far as the information is concerned
1: that's a great question i think um so, you know, we're trying to get an accurate picture of an individual angler's trip. Um, and it's not necessarily the easiest thing. I've, I've been interviewed myself. Sometimes you go out for a long day and you come mm-hmm. back. And and if your fish have been all filleted in a certain fishery, you look at something like haddock, there's nothing to look at. There's yeah. no fish to count. And there's, you know, maybe a bag of fillets, but we don't count fillets. So it's purely a recollection of the angler you're interviewing. Um But it's really still important. I mean, the idea is you're still interviewing them that day. The trip has just ended. And they're going to try to recollect all the species they caught, the dispositions, meaning whether they kept them, whether they threw them back alive, whether they threw them back dead, or whether they
2: used them for bait. And all those things are important. So the outside elements... Um, are those part of the survey as well? So you're asking the angler questions, but do you also take into consideration time of day when they were fishing, uh, water temperatures or any, any, any of that kind of stuff? So water temperatures are not included. We do have a field, the samplers do have a field if,
1: uh, for some reason, the site that they're sampling could be affected by tide. Okay. Um, so there are certain places where we don't make the schedule. So what we do is apply a pressure to a site. Um, And what that means is, you know, we look at a site like Cashman's and we say uh, during a a given six hour time interval, how many anglers do we expect to see? And this is for a given month uh, during a weekend day. How many anglers are there finishing their fishing during that six hour time period? And so we we assign a pressure to that site. And so that site, all the sites for the state go into a, a draw and we get a schedule out. And then we're set up to schedule to sample. Sorry, at those sites that get drawn, um, and some of those sites may have tide issues, and that's the problem. We, the tide doesn't go into making the schedule, but there may be a case where you know, in certain places, I know there's some on the Cape. A sample will show up in a boat at a boat ramp, and that boat ramp's inaccessible for four hours of the time they're there, and yeah. unfortunately, that's just the way it goes sometimes.
2: Wow.
0: Also, too, I remember I've seen some of these guys in the middle of. Uh, you know, you come off the boat right as a thunderstorm's coming through, and there's nobody out there, and yeah. they haven't seen anyone all day.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, and this is the the conversation about eligible anglers. You know, um, you know, one of the things we try to get more, we're trying to always get more of is charter intercepts. Um, you know, there's we get a, a, a ton of private boat anglers, uh, we get a lot of shore anglers, and and we do get a fair bit of charter uh, interviews, but it's probably our lowest number. And you know, at times people get off a charter the captain may not want their customers sampled and that captain may not understand how the survey works and even though we've tried been trying to uh, have been trying to explain it for years there's still certain captains you just can't reach sometimes and uh,
0: why do you think they are against it or feel like it's going against them
1: well I mean there there potentially have been regulations that have come down and they may feel that data that has been uh, reported out of parts of the survey have negatively impacted them. Mm -hmm. But you know, the thing that uh, is really important is, you know, the stuff we want to go into the analysis, we want truth, right? Mm -hmm. We want reality of what's going on in the fishery to go into our assessments. Mm -hmm. Um, And then what we get out in terms of the data is better.
0: Yeah. So you're always better off just being honest when you're there. I mean, I know I probably get, I I get embered by you guys probably about four or five times a year, I would say on average, and it's pretty spread out. And, um, you know, the people always come down, they're quick, they're very polite, they talk to my guests, they talk to me, it's actually, they enjoy it. I know a lot of my guests kind of enjoy showing pictures and talking about the day, and and then, you know, you get got to correct them when they say they caught, you know, 10 more fish than their buddy. I'm like, uh eh, I don't really think it worked that way, pal. <laughs> yeah, you, know? yeah
2: you, you must get the overexcited fishermen too, that, like, you know, that's trying to be the top dogs that probably didn't catch anything and telling you they're catching 20, right? Well, <laughs>
1: we, we hope not.
2: I <laughs> mean, you know, we, <laughs> we want reality, but, um, you know...
1: We hope that that stuff shakes out in the in some of the error that comes out. There's always going to be some error associated with it, of course. Um, but we hope that most people are doing the best they can to give us accurate information.
2: Yeah, and I can understand, you know, why some salty charter captain might give you a hard time about get, getting the data. Because you know, a lot of fishermen will put up the argument that you know we're going to regulate ourselves out of this, and it's really not the case. It's the, the data you're collecting really is to make sure that we still have a fishery, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think. Um, you know, and
1: and it goes both ways. I think sometimes captains say, "Oh, I don't want to report certain things," uh, and then others say, "Oh, I want to report a ton of things." And you know, the idea to try to game the system just doesn't work. Yeah, you know, the reality again is 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 the best way for us to have uh, the best data to look at.
0: Well, just like with anything, there's got to be a mutual respect and understanding there for everyone to kind of come together and figure out what's the best solution for these issues or for anything coming down the pipe. You know. Mm-hmm. and if you don't participate you're not going to get your voice heard in a serious manner so if you participate fully and you're open and honest you know now you can be part of the discussion that's the way yeah. I feel about it I
2: mean Matt it sounds this is an awesome job it's an incredible job so you're outside a fair amount of the time but what's like the ratio between being at the desk and being out in the field
1: well for me it's mostly desk at this point I've been around for let's see I'm in year 60. <clears throat> I mean, you're 16 with the division, so wow. the longer you're, you know, the longer you're anywhere, especially in a field job, you end up you end up pushing paper more and and doing a lot more coordination, which is great. I enjoy it, um, but I still do get out in the field. Again, you saw me. I try to keep my finger on the pulse by doing assignments, and that keeps me. Uh, you know, when I look at the data coming in from the the samplers I put out in the field, I have a better connection to that data Mm -hmm. having been out in the field on a regular basis.
2: Yeah. It's almost like you're leading by example too, with the other people that are taking the surveys and stuff.
1: That's a good point. I mean, you know, we're always, and we're trying to hire more people now. So I'll put the pitch out there that, you know, we're always looking for more people and, and, and good people that are willing to approach anglers and, and do a good job surveying for us. But sometimes it's a sales job. Like we said, it's, it's trying to you know, you get someone who's on the fence about maybe participating. It's voluntary; you don't have to do it, but you know, it's really important. So, how do we want people that are are good at selling the survey, know mm-hmm. the survey well, can explain things, uh, maybe not in as details as as, yeah. <laughs> as much detail as I do, but I think um, be able to then uh, convey some of the important parts of MRIP so that they pull those people onto the right side
2: of the fence to get, you know, some data out of them. That's awesome. So 16 years you've been in this. And I want to say that on day one, you started growing that beard and you haven't cut it yet. (laughs) Not going to lie, I'm feeling a little bit less of a man, like a man sitting next to you here. (laughs) (laughs) It's got a little
1: more, a little more salt than it it does pepper at this point. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, you know.
2: That's probably why your microphone sounds so good a, right now. <laughs> yeah, no kidding.
0: Everything, we sound like crap. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what's going on, guys. Sorry about the little bit of an echo. Um, all right, so we got the MRIP data. What other types of ways are you guys collecting data? So we're
1: also doing research. I mean, uh, our agency does a fair bit of research. And, and when we're doing research, especially recreational stuff, um, we're trying to have it feed directly into management. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the stuff that's going on in our division uh and i'm not necessarily working on it directly but i've helped out in some of these things is uh like we're working on some circle hook versus j hook studies with striped bass Mm -hmm. we're looking at multiple circle hooks uh sizes Mm -hmm. uh for striped bass do you have any recommendation based on your research i won't say anything yet that stuff's still being analyzed so they pulled in data the last two years and they're going through analysis right now as soon as it's out we will definitely put it out to the public but they haven't finished analyzing that data um
2: okay so there yeah there is one question that i have that is it's a controversial question between anglers and probably not so much from you but when we talk about fish kill you know we have the commercial bass guys we all get shit for basically killing the breeders killing the breeders and then we have the recreational fishermen that you know might be even still throwing j-hooks off the beach and killing a bunch of schoolies who is responsible for the greater fish kill in the striped bass fishery?
1: Well, by pure numbers, recreational anglers account for more mortality than the commercial. Uh, and that's just based on the total number of anglers we have fishing, the amount of effort that goes into it. The the sheer number of fish, you know, not even, we're not even talking about harvest, just talking about fish that are thrown back. The release fish numbers are so high that, uh, you know, we have, we have extreme numbers of fish that, you know, at what is currently a 9% mortality rate, which is what is used for striped bass, you know, there's still a lot of fish that, that end up getting checked in the box as as dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so so the recreational definitely have a larger impact overall uh, than than the commercial do.
2: Okay. Yeah, because it's... <clears throat> I, I just learned, like, through the years of fishing and through experience, that fish are a lot more delicate than you think they are. Um, so, like, safe fish handling practices... And things of that nature. Like, where would someone go to really learn that if they're not learning it through experience? I'm
1: really glad you asked that. Uh, So, you know, that's something we're really trying to work more on. Um, And, you know, we're partnering with different groups to try to continue to preach some of those things. Uh, You know, things like sizing your well, so you can go to our website to get some of that stuff. Our our fishing guide has some of that stuff. You know, we will also direct to different magazines and places that have done some, I think, a good job with videos and content. but I think, you know, there's there's lots of things you can do to, to better handle fish, especially striped bass, um, which, you know, you're throwing, let's face it, a lot of fish are getting put back in the water between the, you know, with having only a slot at this point, there's a lot of fish on both sides uh, of that slot that go back. And so we want those fish to go back in the best shape they can. Um, So, you know, and I I don't know if you guys want me to go into things you should do, but I'm sure you guys have already probably talked about some of the things you should do. I want to hear it from you. You want to hear from me? Yeah, let's go. You know, things like sizing your tackle um, appropriately, right? So if you're you're fishing for stripers, you want to have something that can get the fish to the boat quickly, right? There's always that, uh, you know, I don't want to bring the fish in too fast. I want to play it out. Well, no, you want that fish to come in as quickly as possible. It reduces the amount of stress hormones in the fish. You want to get it off the hook as fast as you can. If especially you know if it's going to go back in the water and it's going to, you want it to swim away. I would recommend not even taking it out of the water. Mm-hmm. You know, taking trying to pop that hook, you know, down at the down below the gunnel and uh, and letting it go there. Um, if you have to bring it in the boat, do it as quickly as you can. If the hook's buried in the gills or buried in the gut, don't spend a lot of time trying to take that hook out cut that line off and just let that fish go that hook will work its way out it'll either rust out or it will work its way out
2: um you know, you know the, it's funny you say it like work its way out because i'm going to actually tell like just a quick story about fishing on the sweet water when i was a kid <clears throat> i was using the uh just like a, a salted rubber worm and um, catching large malt bass and i was using these red uh like the offset hooks there not not an offset but the uh the worm hooks, the worm hooks yeah and um i had a i had got hooked one of the fish and I was fishing in the same spot like every single day. And I kid you not, I cut that line, I threw the fish back because I wasn't going to try to pull it out or even kill the fish. <laughs> Two weeks later, the hook was coming out of its butthole. I caught the same fish. <laughs> same exact fish. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, it's wild. I mean, <clears throat> so those things are,
1: I think, are really important. And, um, you know, I know people wanna take a picture with a fish and and uh, you know, if you're gonna pull a fish out of the water, keep your hands wet, uh, really, especially, I mean, really any any fish, support the belly. So a lot of people lift the fish out by the jaw. Um, you know, it's maybe okay when it's a small fish, but I would recommend just putting a hand down under the, the um, the belly of the fish you can you know often back by the caudal peduncle where the where the tail you know the body becomes the tail holding the fish there you know, just supports the body weight
0: a bit a bit more um, and is, is good for fish. One other thing I started doing on my chart is, and I actually started doing it with, when we go shark fishing, because it's very hard to get a good picture when you're shark fishing. So we just always had somebody that wasn't fighting the fish record it and then just grab screenshots off of it. So I thought about it this year when I was bass fishing. I'm like, hey, well, you're not doing anything. Why don't you record this whole thing? Hold it up and we'll just take a still shot so we're not there messing around for 20 minutes and get the thing back in the water. You know, so just something like that was something that helped kind of speed up that process that I thought was useful and people tend to like it.
1: Yeah. You know, I've seen some great photos of fish being released boatside. Mm -hmm. I think they make for a great photo. They do. So, you know, I'm not saying everyone has to have a GoPro, but having something like a GoPro on on a stick where you hold it out in front where it's looking back at the boat. Yeah. You get some great shots. The fish is in the water, and yeah. you've got your hands on it, and it's you know, no background for everybody to check out what you're fishing. Oh well, yeah, Listen, <laughs> you save you save some time having to do Photoshop on those pictures after, right?
2: Yeah, no more catching fish on the moon and stuff. Right? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I know the old scribble
0: background pics. You got to love those, right? <laughs> All right, so what were we talking about? We were kind of going into more data collection, right? You guys run some samples and do some what experiments, or how's that work? Well, yeah, so that, I mean, <clears throat> in terms of what I was talking about with stripers,
1: and, and we've done it with other groundfish species too, is, um, mm-hmm. is trying to look at mortality rates, you know, so uh, in terms of striped bass, we were looking at, like I said, a couple different circle hook types, oh, sorry, circle hook sizes, as well as we had looked at J-hooks and circle hooks uh, in comparison. Um We've also done uh, work on a bunch of ground fish species, a uh, little bit older data, but um, again, fed right into management. There wasn't a great um, estimate for cod, Atlantic cod. Mm-hmm. Um, so our agency, along with a bunch of other partners in New England Aquarium, uh, University of Southern Maine, I believe. uh no, sorry, University of New England up in Biddeford. Uh, I think Rutgers, we've had a lot of partners that have worked with us, uh, Eastman's out of out of Seabrook was mm-hmm. a, a partner in, in that pro- a couple of these projects, but we did uh, looked at mortality rates of co- of Atlantic cod, uh, haddock, and then we did some work with cusk, which is a you know not necessarily a species people are as concerned about, but it is a species of concern in terms of a federal species. Um, and if if you've ever caught cusk. They don't uh, often go back down to the bottom. No, they have a tough time getting back down. Yeah, and there's currently no limit on on cusk in terms of numbers or size. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know
0: they,
2: they like to turn inside out. Yeah. 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 It,
1: it is. That's exactly what it is. The stomach is everted. It is the in. You're looking at the inside of the stomach. Is it a stomach or an air bladder? That's the stomach. The stomach. So, so the air bladder has ruptured, and it's it, as as the fish has come up. Right. The pressure change. The fish are uh, physo. Oh so, gosh, Phaiochlystis—they can't, which means they—they uh, they have to use a an organ to slowly off-gas and adjust their buoyancy. Mm-hmm. So you bring them up, you're veiling them up; it ruptures, and what happens is that gas goes wherever it can, mm-hmm. and most times it forces
0: that it, <laughs> that stomach out of the mouth. That's really interesting. I never knew that. What and are there any other species up around here that are similar? So. Because they're definitely, they definitely, their stomach comes out probably way more consistently than other fish that we catch.
1: I would say redfish do as well. Redfish, Acadian Arcad- yep, yep. redfish. Um, we also, at times, pollock, depending upon the mm-hmm. depth you're catching them, have that. You know, you'll see that. It's not quite um, as, I think it's very visible and easy to see on, on cusk. Um, but interestingly, we, in that study... We did some release at the surface it was a very high mortality rate mm-hmm. as you can imagine it wasn't as high as i thought i thought it'd be 100 it was in the 80s i believe
2: um but Wait, what we, so, so some of these fish that do that they're, they're actually salvageable like they,
1: some of those fish ended up swimming back down Yeah, wow. know we, we did it we did a small sample of, of fish release on the surface what we then did was use some tools that are available, um, and they're used more in, uh, on the west coast and Gulf of Mexico and they're release devices. So they bring the fish back to depth. Mm-hmm. And you put that on your line and you can actually it pulls the fish back to the bottom and it, it recompresses them, right? It's, it's taking them from ambient pressure back to the pressure at depth. Um, and slowly. Uh, right. No, we drop nope. them back as fast as possible. It doesn't okay. doesn't matter too much. And the you know when they get to the bottom, you lift up. And the one we were using was a reverse hook, essentially just the hook pointed down. Okay. No barb, and so you slide it up on the bottom jaw. The weight keeps them on as it's going down, and then when you hit get to the bottom, you just lift up, and they slide right off. Oh, cool. We I've got a bunch of video. There's some great video on our web on our YouTube page. Um, What's your YouTube page so people can go check it out? I'll have to look. If you if you (laughs) search Mass Marine Fisheries, you should be able to find it. Um, But there's some great stuff uh, in partnership with the Aquarium uh, and Rutgers, I believe, and actually UMass Dartmouth that we um, we we've done work there and and haven't published on the cusk stuff yet. But uh, it was pretty impressive. Those those release devices. Greatly reduced mortality. Uh, we went back and recaptured cusk that we had already caught, um, and we also released them. So, in a lot of these studies, we're using acoustic telemetry. Okay. Um, and it's it's well, it's not new, but it's it's a newer way to look at um, look at discard mortality. A lot of studies in the past, when trying to look at mortality, fish have been released in cages. Um, in terms of the the striped bass study, where the nine percent came from, they released them in a salt pond that they were then able to control and drain. Okay. Um, but the idea is that uh, if you have to put a fish in a cage, you're not necessarily releasing it like you would normally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I
0: mean, they got to they got to act and affect on different conditions the way they run their life, and when you're in a cage, you can't do that. So. Yeah,
1: and if you think about if you think about fish that that work with buoyancy, things like all those groundfish species, if you're putting them in a cage. You're holding them at a certain depth, mm-hmm. and, and that has a whole nother effect. Um, but releasing the fish, um, in what we so in terms of the acoustic telemetry work, we put out an array of receivers. Mm-hmm. Those receivers then can listen for tags. We tag the fish, and we release the fish as you normally. You tag them pretty quickly, release the fish with a tag, and then those receivers then pick up those fish. Uh, And based on the depth and how the depth profile works and the horizontal movement, so where they move between receivers, you figure out whether fish are alive or dead. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they may still be preyed upon by things like blue sharks. I had cusk being dropped back, and I had blue sharks eat my— on the way down, yeah, put a whole, the whole GoPro in their mouth. Uh, we had one take a cusk. I have one on video taking a cusk off of the release device on the drop back. So those bastards. Yeah. So, but those things wouldn't happen with a cage, right? Yeah. And, and so, anyway, we've gained a lot of information using acoustic telemetry. Now, um, do you count that as a as a mortality? Uh, that one. So that one wasn't tagged with an acoustic tag. Okay. It was just tagged with like a, um, what are called T bar tags, which yeah. are like an intramuscular. You've probably seen them. They, they stick out, look like a, a spaghetti strand, oh, yeah. you know, that's mm-hmm. like, um, so it's just kind of injected like, uh, the, uh, it's, the end of it looks like what you find in a, the plastic, uh, tag on any of your clothing you buy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that goes into the muscle and holds it in there. So we
0: like we, the ones you tag bass with, like if you catch a tag striper. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. there's,
1: there's a bunch of different styles of bass tags, but that's one of them for yeah. sure. So, um, yeah. So, no, we didn't, that one, I mean, we did label it as a mortality, although it, it, the, the shark spit it out and and the fish actually was still on the device yeah. when it got to the bottom and popped off. Yeah. Um, so, we don't know if it died or not. But
0: So, um, you mentioned cod earlier. Um, how long has it been since they've closed cod north of the Cape? It's got to be 12 years or so, maybe?
1: Yeah, I don't remember. Off has the top been, of
0: my head, I can't remember um, what the year was we... I was still working on the party boats, so that it was at least 14, 12, 14, yeah, at least twelve years ago.
1: Yeah, and and you know we have a small cod fishery at this point, but I, it's hard to even call it a fishery with the you know a single fish uh, per person per day, and and what has has been a two-week season in the fall and a, and this year is a two-week season in the spring as well
0: can you let everybody know what the cod season is going to be from massachusetts if you know if it's official yep. or
1: so well i know right now for april um for april cod is going to be open the first through the 14th and it's one fish at 21 inches or larger okay. uh, per person and that's to go along with haddock um haddock is 15 fish at 17 inches or larger. And that begins April 1st. And that will go through February 28th. So all the way through next February. Although, sorry, I apologize. The fishing year, federal fishing year changes May 1st. So the current proposal from the New England Fisheries Management Council, who puts forth what a recommendation to Mm NOAA, their recommendation for the, the next fishing year, which begins May 1st, is that Haddock will go to a, uh, sorry, will go from 15 fish to 20 fish. So it'll mm-hmm. be a 20 fish bag limit at 17 inches or larger. That's a lot of haddock.
2: It's a lot I'm of haddock. Gonna have fun cutting those cap. <laughs>
0: oh, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, and then that cod, the proposed cod rule, is for. A September first mm-hmm. through October seventh opening. Oh, nice! Um, and so it's a yeah that includes Five that includes Labor Day. Yeah, um, and it would be a twenty two inch minimum size.
0: That's a good size, twenty two. Yeah, and that's and that's all regulated federally through NOAA with the help of. Um, Yep, so Those the agencies.
1: The New England Fisheries Management Council, yeah. which is, you know, our agency sits on, there's a New Hampshire has a position, there's a, a lot of different um, members who sit on that. They they take recommendations from the different committees and then the council then votes on what they want to put forth and and NOAA has final word. Okay. Typically, uh, I won't say typically, but uh, often uh, what they put forth to know is accepted provided that the scientific basis uh, is there for it to to be sustainable.
2: Nice. It's interesting to see the haddock number go up because how good was haddock season last year? I oh mean, the man, last you few could go years, anywhere and
0: just drop anything down. The last few years feels like it's been incredible. Am I right? Am I wrong in this? I mean, uh, haddock's,
1: a, haddock's a great success story. I mean, we've had, we've had great increases in haddock. Um, you know, we'll, it's going to, we're going to keep monitoring. I think I'm trying to remember when the last assessment came out, but, um, yeah, the numbers have been great. Uh, and it's been great because cod is the cod population has not been great. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, having haddock in good numbers, uh, has been nice. And we, as a recreational fishing community, I'll include myself in the recreational fishing, uh, have, have not gotten close to, we have a, we have a sub, um, ACL, Uh, annual catch limit for haddock that is assigned to the recreational sector, we we don't get close to getting to that sub ACL and that's with a 15 fish bag. Most people are okay with a 15 fish bag. Um, You know, the 20 was, was proposed and it, it, it fits. It still fits. We're not going to get close to the, the reaching that sub ACL. But the issue is um, how the haddock fishing Affects the cod because cod ends up being a bycatch of the haddock fishery, right? Yeah. so yeah,
2: that's what, that's what's interesting to me because to me they're so similar, you know, they're just kind of different colors, <laughs> but they're in the same spot, and it's just crazy how one's thriving and the other one isn't. Well, yeah, yeah. No, it,
1: different, yeah, different populations, different uh, different habits, different um, foraging habits. Uh, I will say that our agency has come out. We did we, another study we did, which I didn't include, is we looked at. Data and came up with a model. One of our, our great uh, biologists, who is an, a, a genius in terms of modeling, came up with a model and we were able to spatially um, map out areas of high, so areas where you would uh, encounter fewer cod while fishing for haddock and i don't know if you guys have seen those maps
0: yeah if anybody hasn't seen them they're, they're great resources to go check out i mean not only are they going to give you some information of where to find haddock but they're also going to find you know places where you can get less cod it's it's really expansive i think you cover most of jeffrey's most of Stellwagen on there and um, you know it's a great visual. You can see. I believe if it's red, it's ha- it's cod. If it's green, it's haddock. Correct.
1: Yeah, and they're and they're purely recommendations, right? The idea yeah. is that you know if you if you stay in the green, you should encounter fewer cod while catching you, you mm-hmm. know haddock. Um, it doesn't mean you can't fish in the red, but at times if you fish in the red, you may expect you know you should expect to catch more cod. Um, and you know where we're trying to keep the numbers of cod down, with, especially when the season's close, um, If you can if you can avoid cod, that's great. I will also throw out there if you're in a green spot and you start catching lots of cod move you know you don't have to move that far sometimes it can be a quarter mile mm-hmm. and you can get out of the cod and 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 into a more clean haddock pick
0: now i kind of want to mesh this together with your knowledge of a scientist and biologist who's out there studying these things looking at the data and fishermen what are the things you know? You, you get your spots marked out for high cod concentrations. Not what makes those high cod concentrations compared to haddock. Is it a bottom structure thing, a depth, a type of bottom, a bait source? Like, how could someone differentiate on their own when when they're out there fishing? So I think bottom type has a lot to
1: do with it. Um, I, I'm I'm not positive that that's driving the model exactly, but um, if you're you know, sometimes if you're on hard bottom, if you're on hard structure, if you're up on top of Jeffries, you're probably going to see more cod. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say if you, if you didn't, if you never saw our maps and you wanted to go try to find, uh, or stay away from cod, I'm not saying you're gu- guaranteed to catch Haddock, but sometimes stay off of those harder bottom spots. Um, the, the muddier, the muddier spots, maybe a little deeper, but, um, but you'll tend to find haddock only in some of those spots. You you'll find haddock on some of those hard bottom spots, mm-hmm. but you may have to pick through cod to get, you know, to get to those haddock.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you said that because usually when I'm haddock fishing, I'm fishing soft bottoms like mud and stuff like that. And yeah. I don't get a I mean, I really only haddock fish in the spring um, that I'm in my striper season. But yeah, we're looking for the soft bottom. I don't catch a million cod. You know, it might pick up a few here and there, but for the most part, it's strictly haddock. And if we get onto a little rock pile in our drift or something, we usually bang out some redfish while we're there.
2: Yeah, that's a great piece of information, though, to learn basically the differences between the two. Because, I mean, the haddock fishing is just so great. We, we'll be out there, and we, we decide that if we're going to keep 15, they're going to be 19 inches because we don't want to cut the 17-inch fish. But it's... uh. It is interesting, but I, there, I do see cod in strange places sometimes. I caught a bunch of cod just out at Breaking Rock. Ton of cod at Breaking Rock this year. Really? Good
0: size ones, too, like 20, like 24, 24
2: inches. Deep, huh. deep red color, too, in them.
1: Oh, yeah, the groundskeeper cod. Those are like those uh, maybe a little less, well, I don't know. There's thoughts that some of those are a little less migratory. You know, the, the, yeah. the, the green cod that are a little, you know, lighter in color that, you know, I would yeah. say you're seeing more traditionally as like
0: when you see a cod uh, depicted. Yeah, it's kind of funny. They're all different kinds of shades of oh, color yeah. depending where you're catching them. Like you get the light brown. You get the, the almost the, like orangey color, that deep red. red the red cod. The yeah, red yeah, the cod. Red. I will Up say
2: that it's, all, it's funny because it's always a friend that's on the boat. That that drops the sabiki all the way to the bottom (laughs) when you're mackerel
0: fishing, and then all of a sudden you have a cod coming off Dan, I I tell you, man, there were times this year I couldn't believe it. I was just going to say it to him. is We were jigging for mackerel, and we catching a cod or two, like the same guy. I'm like, dude, stop dropping down the bottom. And I take it, and I drop it down 15, 20 feet, and I hand it to him. I go, do not let line out. I turn around and come back, and he had another cod on. This (laughs) happened multiple times. They were swimming up, like, I'm telling you, we were not on the bottom. We They're were like hungry. Diamond, 60-
1: j- diamond jigs on the bottom? Yeah. Just eating
0: that diamond jig. Right? Yeah. Just getting that little diamond jig 20, 30 feet down. It was yep. coming up. We were probably fishing 50, 60 feet. Yeah. Well, you know?
1: It's entertaining for your customers to catch them. we got
0: black sea bass, which was cool. We got yeah. a bunch of those this
1: year. Yep. Yeah, the northern the northern push of black sea bass and some of those more mid Atlantic
0: species right. coming north. Yeah, how, how long caught? how long Matt? Do we get a fishery for those? Because those are fun <laughs> as hell. What's uh, your prediction on that?
1: Uh, well, I mean, we have a fishery in Mass. I mean, well it, up
0: here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's
1: you know the problem is is getting them in season. Uh, you know that season typically opens late May and goes into sep- early September. Um, yeah. You know, I will say I caught. I caught a 16-inch black sea bass in Mass Bay in December a few years ago. We were doing some cod work. We were jigging. I dropped down, hit the bottom, and, you know, not expecting to pull in a a sea bass, especially of that size, uh, in that location. Um, So it's it's a whole new world. Was that one of the weirdest things you ever caught when you were out there doing some
0: of this stuff? You must have seen some stuff, man.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't probably seen as many things as you. You're on the water more than I am. I I mean, I've seen some interesting things uh, come up in some of the survey nets, but uh, not necessarily. You've, I'm sure you've seen more interesting things.
0: When I was working on the party boats in the fall, one day, um, I wasn't actually on the trip, but I got the picture and stuff. Uh, one of the mates, Mo, caught like a 36 inch striper on Jeffrey Southern Jeffreys. Wow. Yeah, I, I know Mo. I know yeah. Mo. Oh, was no, yeah. a great guy. I, I, Mo was
1: all. I when I started. The only part of MRIP we did was the headboat ride-along. So that's another
0: part we do. do you know, That was the first time I met you. Was that on a I party was, boat? I was mating on the party boat. Yep. And you were there. And uh, I remember, you know, Bob Bishop? Oh, yeah. I remember He, me and Justin, we <laughs> were like, Hey, uh, Bob, where's that harpoon we got the whale with the other day? And he's going, Shut up! Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know Bob, too. Bob's a
1: good guy. You know, I, I know. Yeah. I, again. Having been around 16 years, and I, yeah, I know you. I know, yeah. you know some of the guys who were mates, and now are captains, and it's uh, yeah, makes me feel old. But
2: it's a small world, man. Yeah, it's a small world. Absolutely, but it's great, man. So, Matt, all right. So, you you work out of out of Gloucester. You live in Cape, in Cape Ann, and uh, is that where you're from? No, I'm I'm originally from Southern New Hampshire. So uh, I grew up
1: in Seacoast area, New Hampshire, and went to school at University of New Hampshire, uh, and went right into grad school after that and in at university of new hampshire and then went straight to the division uh from there
2: did you know that it was what you wanted to do was it were you like a young fisherman that just was on the water all the time and decided i'm gonna be a biologist
1: i mean i so i grew up on a lake in southern new hampshire i did a lot of i did a lot of largemouth fishing you know pickerel all the all your normal lake species in a you know shallow warm water lake in new hampshire uh i enjoyed that and I didn't fish a lot of saltwater until I got probably to be, I don't know, high school age, and a friend of mine took me striper fishing, and it was pretty exciting, you know, catching fish that were, you know, made everything else look like bait that I had been catching in freshwater. So, you know, I always enjoy the water and, uh, you know, did whale watches and things as a kid and, and really liked the ocean, always enjoyed, you know, living close to the seacoast. We still didn't go and, you know, tide pool and do fun things like that, and so I've always been interested in... I was pre-med when I went to UNH to start. Oh wow! I realized I didn't want to stay in school that long, and and really ended up really enjoying the, uh, you know, marine and freshwater biology. And that's... So now you're the fish doctor. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm not a doctor. I'm not a doctor, and I'm not sure I, know, I plan I'm on doing sorry it. Sorry to give you yeah. the title. <laughs> no, no, that's not. Got to be careful with that.
0: If you were going to be a medical doctor, what were you going for? What was your? Oh, I don't know.
1: I think I was. I was always interested in like orthopedic type stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah. At well, this orthopedic point,
2: surgeons. They, that's a. That's a good gig. It's
1: still interesting to me, but uh, yeah. No, I I like fish now, and, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I think... That's I awesome. think, so
2: are you finding time to do recreational fishing? Does a it job get you most of the time?
1: I, you know, I did a lot more recreational fishing before I had kids. Uh, oh, yeah. it's starting to come back as my kids get a bit older and, you know, I get them on the water and, you know, we flounder fish and, and have now gotten into stripers a little more. And so, yeah, it's coming back. It's uh, you, I used to shore fish quite a bit. I used to surf cast a fair bit, uh, Cape Ann, Ipswich, some of those areas, some of the beach
2: fronts and, uh, had a lot of fun doing that. But yeah, So it's been about 10 years that I've even attempted doing anything with like a flounder rig. How is the flounder fishing? So it depends where you are. I
1: mean, the flounder fishing can be really good, um, you know, in the once they come out of spawn and the water warms up a bit. Um, shooting
0: for like post-50 degrees?
1: Yeah, I think right. 50 and above. You know, you might get them a little bit colder, but I'd say 50s probably. Yeah. That's, that's the like… That's the magic that's number. That's the number people talk about. Yeah. Um, I mean, I see them. I dive a fair bit and I see them when it's colder, but most people can't get them to bite. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, I don't fish a ton up this way. So up towards the mouth of the Merrimack as much, I fish more Anasquam River either end mm-hmm. either, you know, the Ipswich Bay side or the uh, Gloucester Harbor side. And, and we get pretty good numbers. It's, it can be really good uh, at times. Maybe the last couple of years hasn't been as good, but um, yeah, a slow drift. With a, you know, sea worm, you can, you know, it's a piece of clam on those those little tiny flounder hooks for those smallmouth fish. But, man, they're fun. You can, you yep. know, drink a beer or smoke a cigar while you're doing it, which is really nice, too. Funny <laughs> you saying
0: that. One of the, my grandfather passed away when I was like eight. And one of the visions I have in my mind was when I was probably about five, we were flounder fishing. And he had a beer in one hand with a cigar in his fingers with the beer. And he was drop lining with the other hand. And he was the happiest man in the world. I just remember him just smiling, having (laughs) old papoo, having a great time up there. And
2: for those of listening, if you've never filleted a flounder before, don't ever take your eyes off of it or even your hand off of it until you're 100% done. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty (laughs) jumpy. They like to find a way off the cutting board. They are a fun fish, man. I got to start doing more of that. It would be fun, you know, because I was thinking about just what you were saying about having your kids and, you know, taking them flounder fishing. You know, you start with smaller fish and you work your way up to bigger fish. The more you're catching, the more fun you're having. You know, you build the the draw to it. I'm actually working on a, a blog right now that actually describes that because I'm going through it with my daughters now as they grow to try to you know get them on the water and get them into into fishing. But we have some great stories already. And it's, they're only four and two. So
1: I mean, it's fantastic. We you know we do a little lobstering. You know, and we'll fish, a, you know, you don't have to fish long. You know, if you can catch yeah. a, a flounder or two, you yep. put a skate on the boat or a couple skates, you know, that, that's You're all. You're a hero. A, you caught a stingray. It's <laughs> all exciting for the kids. They love it. And, yeah. you know, get some photos that, you know, they're going to love when they're older and
0: that, it's, it's fun. That's one of my favorite parts as a guy, too, seeing people, young kids who you get into it. And believe it or uh, not, some of the kids I've had on my boat the last couple of years, boy, they are into it. They, like, young, 8 to 10 years old, nice. and they're, they fish the whole time. They fish the whole time. They listen. They're very good. And and they're very polite. They love the fish. They take pictures. They do all that thing. And, um, yeah, I've had great experiences with kids. And I love it when they catch something big and they're smiling. And, you you know, you for life. You know, I remember, you know, my first striper, some lady was fishing off the pier at the uh, flea market in Newburyport. We were walking by. It was freshwater fish. And she was whaling on these little schoolies. And I was, like, seven. And... Like I started talking to her. She let me reel one in. I look at my dad. I'm like, dude, this is it. We went to surf lane, got a rod, and that's when it all began. The you rest know? is
1: history. right? You never
0: know. You could do that. Any kid come in contact with. You yeah. know, give them that opportunity.
1: Well, it's nice. Kids, like you said, uh, they don't sometimes have bad habits. So well, know, that's what it is. Yeah, you get them on the boat, and you mm-hmm. can teach them. They're they're willing to listen. They're like a sponge, right? They mm-hmm. whatever you tell them, they're gonna they're gonna do. Um,
0: I wish so. they were like that in my math class. To <laughs> be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> That's good.
1: That's good. I, I uh, can. I will take a moment to piggyback on this kid thing. Our agency is also doing a bunch uh, it, this year. Uh, we've done a bunch of videos and some more content on, on angler education. So we just put together a log book, uh, for kids. It kind of looks like a, the cover kind of looks like a composition book yeah. and you open it and there's species. There's a way to log your catch. There's a spot for weather and tides and things like that. There's lots of stuff about how to read the water, ways to handle the fish, different types of rods and terminal tackle, things like that. Um, and along with those are companion videos that we've done. I will say you'll have to listen to my voice a little bit more if you want to watch some of those videos, but they're they're pretty good. Um, we've released some. We haven't done a, a lot of promotion, but that's coming. Um, and so there's you know we're trying to continue, and that's coming from money that people are spending on their saltwater permits. Mm-hmm. So that money, and you know, so that everybody knows they probably know already, but when you buy a saltwater permit in Massachusetts, whether it's for a charter boat, or a party boat, or just an individual angler, that money goes into a dedicated fund, and so it has to be used for the money goes back into the fisheries. And so a third of it goes to improving public access. And we've done fishing piers. At Cashman. The, the, the pier at Cashman is yeah. beautiful, man. Yeah, that Cashman was an existing pier, but we rebuilt it completely. You guys and, did a great job. Yeah, and people fish it a lot. I
0: mean, All the And time. there's a lot,
1: you know, we, we've done a couple clinics there with kids and caught schoolies, and it's been fantastic. You so know, a couple, well, couple years ago,
0: you, someone caught a 50 pounder there? Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy.
1: So, and we just built, we just finished. Well, we finished Deer Island Pier last year, which is down on the Deer Island in Boston. Boston, Um, So we have one in Boston proper uh, in that area. Um, But yeah, so, you know, we're using some of that money for public access and then other things like some of this angler education stuff. And so, you know, just nice to know that what you're, you know, that $10 you're spending for a license is not going into the coffers of the general fund. It's going into a place where we're then using it.
2: Wasn't it Theodore Roosevelt that actually was the one that that made that happen? I'm pretty sure he was a part of that, right?
1: Uh, federally, I believe he was involved in that. Um, I mean, ours ours works more on the state level, and okay. and, and actually it was great because when the federal government was going to establish a federal license, if states didn't have a license, and hmm. I think it was 2011. I can't remember the exact year, but uh, and so our agency, along with uh, other folks in the state, put together a group, and it was made up of captains uh, tackle bait and tackle shop owners, private anglers that had a say in how the license was going to be, um, implemented. And so the legislation was built using recommendations from this group and that's kind of how it was formed. So, you know, we've had, I won't say that there've been governors who've tried to take money from some of those funds and not just ours, but the, uh, freshwater has the same type thing where mm-hmm. the money from hunting and fishing licenses goes back into dedicated funds. And anytime, anyone tries to take that money, we lose a huge amount of federal funding. Um, and so it's it's really, it's well protected,
0: which is great. Good, that's good to know. Cause you know, 10 bucks, you know, nothing for us, I would think, you know, it goes a long way to helping you guys give back to us in different ways. Yeah, absolutely.
2: I mean, I feel like the state has done a great job of keeping things affordable for for the recreational angler. And um, it's it's money well spent every year. Yeah, and
1: I'll, I'll say that, that um, the database that's created annually helps direct that effort survey. I talked about early in the, in the conversation, the, there's a mail survey that goes to angler households. Mm-hmm. We submit that angler data. So the database, we have a database of those anglers who bought permits. That goes to NOAA, and they use that to help direct those surveys to actual angler households.
0: Is, is that um... – the Quantec surveys, or is that strictly from NOAA? So Quantec is
1: a contractor, and yeah. they've they've been contracted to do some other stuff. They've in the past done the the phone calls. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've ever received in it.
0: December in
1: January. Oh, whoa, whoa, hold, hold on! Uh, let me let me, <laughs> let me let me let me fix what you think because historically <laughs> Quantec was the agency that did that. It was con- it was contracted to them. They were a contractor based in the South somewhere. That is no longer the last couple of years. Our agency, so all the states, and I I will say I made a push for this earlier than it happened, but um, they decided to take, once Quantex contract was up, they gave that duty to each of the states. Oh, and so good. we, because we have so many vessels in Massachusetts, we, we issued over 800 uh, charter and headboat permits in 2021 wow. Wow. statewide. And that doesn't even include all the vessels that have. Uh, the federal tuna permits. If the, so, if you're a, if you're a charter boat, if you have a uh, captain's license, yeah, and you want to go target tuna, mm-hmm. um, you, you can you can get the charter headboat because mm-hmm. then you can keep a small bluefin or, or a commercial a bluefin, and mm-hmm. you're not you're not you don't once you once you get the the general category the angling category, you are you are only a commercial fisherman.
0: Real quick before we go any further, yeah, can sir. you just? explain that to everybody who's trying to get into tuna fishing with the permits and what you can and can't keep based on which permit yeah, you have i do and think that. with the
2: headboat the keyword is the or or yeah your recreational or a commercial fisherman
1: yeah so i'm not going to go too deep into that because i am not i do not work for the hms department of oh, NOAA. Right, but yeah. but i but i will say that uh if you have that federal so if you have a captain's license and you get the federal charter headboat uh tuna permit it allows you to keep, depending upon what the regulations are set at, uh, and you have your commercial perm, You have to have also the commercial permits to be able to sell, mm-hmm. and that's from from our agency um, to be able to, to um, sorry, to be a commercial fisherman. But those, uh, what happens is the first fish you catch can can determine what you're fishing for that day. Mm-hmm. If you catch a recreational sized bluefin tuna, and you want to keep it. You are for that day now a recreational boat.
0: Can't sell a tuna after that.
1: Correct. If you if you decide to kill a a bluefin in the recreational size class and you have that charter boat permit, you are now a recreational for that day. If you catch a fish that is over 73, you may not keep it unless for some reason the they have that off. In the past, they've had a trophy, one trophy a fish trophy fish, but often that's gone pretty quick. So, yeah, Damn. you you can't then sell anything that day and 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 conversely if you catch a a giant or something 73 or larger and you've now you now become a commercial vessel you're not you're not allowed to keep anything under 73 in that any of those recreational sizes wow. and then if
0: you don't have your ca- captain's permit you got to choose what you want to do if you don't have your captain's license right you got to either get the rec one and not sell any or you got to get the commercial one and not keep any Correct. That's where
1: you're at. Yeah, correct. And I won't go, I'm not going to go any deeper. (laughs) I tried to explain the loophole. That's, sorry, not a loophole, the option. The option. Yes. (laughs) So, yeah,
2: in the waters that we're fishing in, it's interesting because we we have our local government, you know, we have the Massachusetts regulations. And then there's the federal with NOAA. Where would someone go to, like, really put all these pieces together? Because I feel like there might be fishermen that are out there that think they have the right stuff going on. And they actually don't because you know what you guys might require they they might not they might fulfill that need but then what Noah wants to see they might not have that permit it seems like there's just a lot of crisscross that happens
1: yeah I won't say our regulations are always as clear as they could be um, you know I think the best thing to do is to go to you know if you go to our our website which is mass.gov slash marine fisheries or if you just Google marine mass marine fisheries you'll get to our website and you can look at our current regulation table. Typically we are going to mirror, not always, but the vast majority of the time, we are gonna mirror the federal regulations. Things like haddock and cod, we're gonna mirror in certain areas. So we're gonna have the same regulations. Um, There are other species that have different federal rules than state rules. And in those cases, it's often where you're landing the fish that you have to follow the rule, the more strict rule. So something like black sea bass has a federal rule but it's not, there are no states that have that same federal rule. And so you have to follow the state you're landing in uh, in that particular fishery, mm-hmm. if that makes sense.
2: It, it must be a nightmare regulating striped bass between Rhode Island and Massachusetts waters. That must be crazy. Well, and,
1: you know, in most cases for striped bass, we're trying to have the same regulation, right? I mean, yeah. especially— oh, I was actually
2: thinking from a commercial perspective. Oh, commercial. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's right. Yeah. I mean, and add something like Block Island into the, yeah, to, exactly. the to the mix, yeah. and how
0: that all works. Tell you one thing: you can't fish in New Hampshire. That's for sure. They're, they patrol that border on commercial days, pretty damn yeah, good. It's
2: like an invisible
0: iron curtain there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's good. Oh, that's good. I mean, it's good.
2: that's
1: how it should be. Yeah, yeah, and you know, enforcement's good as much as some people complain about never seeing enforcement uh, person. I feel like it's gotten a bit better. We're seeing, mm-hmm. you know, people I'm talking to are are talking about seeing more on the water. Um, I don't know you guys can speak to whether you see them at all on in areas you fish but
0: uh yeah I see them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah
1: on the, on the water I've seen him. I actually been in the woods too. Yeah there's a couple of great guys up in your region here. I um uh, Lennon I don't know if you've met Ryan Lennon he's I believe he lives on Plum Island now but he did live in Amesbury. He's he's great. He's on the Merrimack. Um there's a bunch of great guys that that patrol this area. So yeah, I'm hoping, hopefully they're doing the right thing. And, you know, I will say to people, if you see something going on and you don't like it and it's you see illegal activity, report it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's one thing to talk about it and complain about it. But if you're not going to make the phone call and report and you're not necessarily going to get someone to come out. But if you call enough, uh, it,
0: it will happen. Um, yeah. Before you go, give me the number. If you know the number off the top of your head, rip it up and uh, we'll, we'll post it on some stuff. So. Yeah, I can get there for you while we're talking. Yeah, yeah, he's gonna pull the number up, guys, and then we'll also post it on our stuff um, and have it there for you to call and report because you know we gotta hold each other accountable to do the right thing.
2: Yeah, because I've heard of people being very discouraged that you know they they call and report and like nothing's happening, call and report, but it totally makes sense if you if you if you keep up. With the accountability factor, right. And you keep calling, you keep calling, eventually someone's going to be patrolling there and they're going to catch that person in the Mm end. So what you might not stop today, you could stop next week or tomorrow. I think that's a great
1: point. And, and I would also, I would urge groups, you know, if there's groups of anglers, you know, fishing clubs, uh, captains, if they see something, sometimes, uh, a letter or something that comes from a group can have more impact than just an individual. Um, but you know, I think, um, uh along with that is uh well, I'm going to lose my train of thought I uh I think
2: regulation talking about make, making the call making the call oh,
1: keep yeah, pounding no, no, sorry I apologize uh so the big thing was uh and and a recent thing that happened last summer so I don't know if you guys heard there was some uh the sailing that goes on for for and pogies mm-hmm. down in boston harbor i mean it goes on throughout our, along our coast, when wherever oh, yeah. there's fish, well, they happen to be pretty thick in Boston Harbor last summer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and for the most part, there's a pretty good mutual respect. The, the commercial guys that are seining are supposed to stay away from active recreational anglers that are on a, on a school of fish.
0: Oh, that's, that's good to know.
1: Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, so, in, and I'm just going to say that, you know, in, in this case, there was a, a boat that was not, uh, this. A sane boat decided to not respect kind of the rules um, or the the etiquette that is kind of in place. Um, and I got a call from a charter captain who said, listen, this is going on. What do I do? I said, call the number. Mm-hmm. I said, call and report it. I said, I'm not saying they're going to come out to you right now, but if you don't call and log it, it's never going to go as logged. And, and No one knows. Well, and I'll tell you, our director just, cha- just altered the permit of that vessel so it can no longer sane in Boston Harbor. No way. So... Yeah, it's, you know, they, they let them come in and they let them fish in there, but, you know, this, this guy is now lost, or I think it's a guy, but the, the permit, that permit has now a condition on it that cannot fish inside those areas anymore.
0: You hear that, guys? If you see something, say something, because you never know the difference that you can make in a beneficial way. Um. And just kind of to go back on what we were talking about, um, you know, we we're talking about how to properly act and call the number, right? That's that's the way you, you, this is how it works. This is how it works. Going on Facebook and bitching about it doesn't do anything. It doesn't, because most of you guys, you guys probably aren't looking at Facebook all the time and it's nothing official. You know, you never know what you're seeing on there. Take the time to go through the proper avenues. So for example, you know, we see things posted that you got like a, a, a meeting on mackerel, saying, right? As a recreational angler, what's the best way for me to get involved or my group to get involved to get my voice heard in those situations?
1: Yeah, so it depends on the type of meeting. It depends on the group that's holding the meeting. Um, mm. In terms of the mackerel. I, I just think, used that as an example because yeah, no, 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 it's it recent. Yeah. It's a good example. Those were listening sessions held by the Mid-Atlantic. So they yeah. they presented data and information on mackerel. Um, and then they... they took comments from from folks that were on those two meetings mm-hmm. uh I, one meeting was a little more tame than the other i was at
0: uh, the second meeting i heard the first one was not good the
1: first one yeah i don't think the person who was who was doing it expected it to have the volume yeah um, which which is great again yeah. the vault vo- you know if people are interested and in find out about these things then they should participate and um you know we we as an agency hold public hearings on any kind of regulations we're going to set. Um, they've been virtual in in COVID times, they will mm-hmm. go eventually back to in-person uh, public hearings, but they're important, you know, to, to come and voice your opinion. Uh, on a, on a given issue. And we typically, I will say you can sign up for advisories, um, on our website. Um, either Google again, Massachusetts division of Marine fisheries or mass.gov forward slash Marine fisheries. Mm -hmm. And if you sign up for advisories, anytime we're having those types of meetings, you will get an email, um, Mm -hmm. with upcoming meetings and, and times, uh, where you can submit public comment. So even if you can't make the meeting, you can submit a public comment, um, via email or mail or mail. Absolutely. So there's different ways to do it.
0: And that's really the recreational is opportunity to get their voice heard on certain issues, whether they agree, disagree. And one thing I can stress too, cause I've been in some of those meetings, especially the ones back in person. I remember we went to one in Gloucester a few years ago and they tend to get a little heated at times. And like, you just got to be respectful of the process. It's not going to happen today. You're not going to say something that's going to change everyone's mind. And be mindful of that. Be respectful when you're talking, have your facts straight, you know, get your opinion out there. And, um, you know, hopefully we can all work together to figure it out. Yeah.
1: I mean, I highly recommend, you know, if you're in the know and you keep pay attention to those things, tell other people too. Yeah. Um, you know, there's not everybody pays attention to email, uh, checks out websites, knows what's going on. But if, if you know someone who might be interested, let them know, let them know and, and you know, give them a ride or, or give them, <laughs> let them come to your house and, and get on the zoom call or whatever we've got.
0: Now I know one of the one of the thing biggest things for me especially when I was a young guy um you know sometimes reading these regulations and those emails it's you got to be a lawyer to kind of figure it out so like sometimes I got to read something three or four times just to make sure I'm getting it right and the more that I do it the better I get at it obviously like with anything but like you know is there a way that you communicate things in a little more bit more of like a layman's terms for most people to kind of understand. I understand the official documents, but can we take that and, and turn it to something a little bit more manageable and easy to digest? Well, we can try. I, I, you know, (laughs) I
1: think we try to put out outreach materials that, that convey regulations. Yeah. Um, I, you know, the hope is we continue to get better at, at, at our outreach, um, which includes, you know, disseminating any information that we're putting out there. So, um, you know, any, anything you can recommend would be great, but, you know, we'll we'll continue to work to get better at it. I think um, you're right. Some of the regulations are difficult to, to not, wrap your head around.
0: Not even so much the regulations, but like, oh, here's what's coming up at the meeting. Here are these, like, four different proposals. And sometimes the proposals are just really hard to grasp your head around sure. what they're talking about. I can't think of anything specific at this moment. You know, I'm probably, probably more so from my younger years where I was a little intimidated by it. But I know I've talked to a couple of people this week that, you know, you were coming on the show. And people are like, you know, that's great. They're like, I'd like to do more, but then say that that's where I got the term form from. They're like, it's like trying to be a lawyer, read these things and figure it out. And these are actually older people, like guys in their forties, fifties, sixties. So no, it's a, it's a good point. I think,
1: um, yeah. And I, and I, I can't speak to everything that comes out of our agency. Yeah, uh, You know, I probably can do a better job of disseminating some of the stuff on the recreational side. That's going to especially impact my region. Yeah. Um, but you know, and and I do a lot of work with not only uh, my region, but I do a lot of work with uh, for hire vessels throughout the state. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, yeah, you know, I think we could always be better. Communication could always be better. Always. And uh, in, in all facts, all facets of life. But uh, yeah, I, you know,
0: I'll I'll continue to work to, to do better on some of those things. Yeah, well, that's that's a big reason why we wanted you here. You know, just to kind of get together and, and see what we you guys are thinking, what we're thinking, and um, yeah um so we're about an hour you got anything else you'd like to say to everyone
1: no i will first I'll, while i have it in front of me i will throw you the environmental police dispatch number if you want me to yes please so if you see something going on that you don't think is right it's a legal activity in terms of fish and game violations so you know fresh water salt water hunting any of that stuff uh, the number for dispatch is eight, uh, sorry, 1-800-632-8075. So again, mass environmental police is one eight hundred six three two eight zero seven five. 632 8075 So, you know, store that somewhere. And, you know, anytime you see something, give a call again, can't can't fix things if we don't know what's going on that, you know, especially some of those, you know, whether it's poaching, whether you see people handling fish in improper ways, gaffing fish for no reason, things like that. Mm-hmm. Let us know. Right. Let, let them know. And they'll hopefully come out and, and uh, visit, visit the area.
2: Well, Matt, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to come out and educate us. <clears throat> it's uh, it's great to hear what you guys are doing. Um, it's impressive to me that all that you do, And when it comes to those surveys, Chris and I, we're always happy to give you the right information. And I hope if, you know, people are listening now that would inspire you to not pretend like you haven't caught anything because you think you're going to spot burn or, uh, you know, just be honest with what you're reporting. Because basically what you're doing is you're making sure that we have a fishery for our children, you know. So it's... uh, it's a super super important thing, and it's um, you know something that I, I appreciate. So thank you very much.
1: Yeah, thank, well, I appreciate you guys having me. I, I will throw out there that all of our samplers sign a disclosure agreement, and all everything that collect is collected is confidential. Nothing nothing can be shared um, beyond what they're you know receiving in terms of data. So, and anyone that then handles that individual data, um, it's all it's all confidential. So. I think that's important. Another thing is that we are not law enforcement. So our agency and those folks that are out sampling have no enforcement capabilities. They are not there for that. They are purely there to gather data. So I think it's I think it's important because some people will go digging for their saltwater license. We don't, Mm -hmm. we don't care if you have a, we care as an agency,
2: Yeah. but in terms of our, you want them to have a license, but you're not enforcing the license. mm -hmm. No,
1: that sampling we're doing and trying to gather information on your catch. That's all we want, you know? And, and if for some reason you have a fish over the limit, we still want to know that it's not, we're not, you're not going to get in trouble by us. um, And we're not going to leave and call environmental police. um, So we just want, you know, the truth and, uh, and accurate information when we're trying to gather it.
0: All right, I think we can handle that on our side, right? Yeah. All right, guys. Definitely.
2: Yeah, I think it would be great too with um, with the site. We should probably if we can post updates for these guys and you know. Yeah, we'll, I want
1: we'll to talk to
0: them. Information when we get off of here for sure, for sure. Yeah,
1: okay. you can link to our site, and you know, we're always trying to find groups to work with to you yeah. know continue to push our word. We can only do so much as an agency, but you know, y- <laughs> you guys are are voices on the water, right? You're on the water mm-hmm. more than we are, and mm-hmm. so. You know, continuing to, as we educate you, not that you guys need it, but, you know, if you learn something in this conversation tonight, uh, you know, that your word of mouth to someone else now now pushes it way down the line. I well, learned
0: quite a few things tonight. Yeah, yeah I, I absolutely really did. I absolutely did, too.
2: And the thing is, is you can't do, get too comfortable and think you know it all. Absolutely. Because this stuff changes so much. You know, you're putting so much work into it to make sure it's right every single year. Um, you always have to be up to date with what's going on.
1: Yeah, and listen, I'll I'll call you guys expert anglers. I'm going to try not to laugh when I say it, but you know, <laughs> you know, I think um, even even expert anglers can learn something at, at, at all times, right? Learn something new every day, man. Right. Be a sponge. Be be willing to you know potentially change something you do, um, and you know, hopefully, hopefully, it's for especially in this case, we're talking about for the betterment of our of our resources, our, and trying to keep those resources sustainable.
0: Absolutely. Awesome. All right. Hey, Matt. Thanks again, man. This was great. Really appreciate you coming out here and really like what you had to say. Well, thanks for having
1: me, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you,
0: brother. Thanks, man.